0: Guys, we're in chapter three verses four to ten. We're, it's lesson number eleven. We're going to talk about the evidence of your life now i I want you to recognize something as you're going through this book. it seems like a reoccurring pattern of what John is doing here. He, he wants to it's almost like sometimes he's dropping the hammer, trying to get your attention. Trying to get you to realize, don't, don't, don't be deceiving yourself about where you're at in your, in your walk with Christ. Where are you? Your life evidences that. Then, after dropping the hammer, he will oftentimes come in and reassure believers, communicate truth to, to help you in your foundation with Christ. So again, today he's gonna talk again about what does your life evidence. See, here's the thing. Christianity, you know, it's a pretty broad term these days. But being a follower of Jesus is probably sometimes a little bit different than just saying you're a Christian. What do you mean? Because everybody can claim to be a Christian. In fact, 78% of Americans claim to be a Christian. That doesn't seem to be changing our culture any, does it? So when you talk about being a follower of Jesus Christ, here's the reality that comes out of the New Testament. It is more than just lip service. It is more than just saying, I'm a follower of Jesus. It is evidenced in your your faith in Christ is evidenced, not just in communication, but in how you live your life and what your life exhibits. And we're going to see that today. We're going to see the testimony of our actions. We're going to see that our actions communicate a testimony. So we're going to talk about that today. Let's look at John chapter 3. Verses 4 through 7. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. Okay, let's. we're going to take these this section real quick before we look at verses 8 through 10 in the second section. And we're going to divide this into several different parts. We're going to look at, first of all, the nature of sin. We're going to see that in verse 4. We're going to see Jesus' purpose in verse 5. And then we're going to see the issue of our testimony in verse 6. And he's going to tell us what we need to do that with that in verse 7. So look with me, first of all, the nature of sin. He, John tells his readers, let me get my little thing here. John tells his readers that when they sin, they're breaking the law. Now, do you realize that? When you and I sin, we're breaking the law. Now, he uses the term lawlessness, Okay? That, that, that almost seems extreme, but the reality is, is when you and I sin, we're breaking the law of God. Alright? Bottom line. Now, he defines sin as lawlessness. So, sin is not just your character flaw. Sin is not just some, some, you know, some family trait. Sin's not a mistake. Okay? Sometimes we can label our sins as just a mistake. Or, you know, just some, just some little wee thing that, you know, we've got to deal with. In God's eyes, he defines sin purely as lawlessness, okay? Now, here's what lawlessness means. Lawlessness conveys the idea of active rebellion against the law. Do you understand? It's like actively rebelling against the law. That's what lawlessness means. So when he says sin is lawlessness, it's communicating that we are in a state of active rebellion against the law of God. By what we do—that's pretty harsh, isn't it? Because it, it's almost like it's easier for us to classify it as a mistake or my character issue or just the thing I'm struggling with. But the reality is, sin is lawlessness. Now, here's what his purpose is here. Now, uh, you, you probably got a question in your mind because you're thinking, "Whoa, that's pretty extreme. I don't know about that yet." Well, I'm going to give you a chance to. Think through something here in a moment. But let's talk about Jesus' purpose here. When you look at verse 5, it's because of the nature of sin and the lawlessness of sin that Jesus came. Do you understand? It's because of the nature of sin and the lawlessness of it that Jesus came. So here's what he wants. He wants to remind his readers that Jesus came to take away our sins. So the first thing is, is that Jesus came to take away your sins. That's what he wants to remind you of. So let me just stop for a moment. Jesus didn't just come to forgive you your sins. Does everybody understand me? Because sometimes we can reduce salvation down to I'm forgiven. And we just keep on doing what we're doing. We keep on struggling. We keep on wrestling with our issues and stuff. The reality is John wants you to understand that it is for the purpose of taking away your sins. That God came. It's for the purpose of you having victory in your life in an area that Christ came. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, you may struggle. Yeah, you may continue to stumble into something. But it was for the purpose of you having victory over it. Do you understand? In fact, isn't that what Paul says in Romans chapter 6? That because of the new life that we have, you now have the ability to say no to sin. You didn't have that ability before. Why do you have that ability now? Because Jesus came to take away our sins. If you are a a person who trusts in him, there is victory. Now, it may be a long road to the victory, and oftentimes it is, because we train our bodies in sin, don't we? Do Do you know what I mean? The training begins when we're weak, when we're small. We train ourselves in sin. And so Jesus came. He reminds his readers to take away our sin. He also reminds us this. He tells his readers that Jesus was sinlessly perfect. He's the perfect sacrifice. If there was anybody who could ever deal with our sins, it's Jesus, because he's the one who, what, was sinlessly perfect. He can address the issues in your life. You ever had somebody address problems in your life? And sometimes your reaction is, is like, well, you know, who, I appreciate you telling me that, but who do you think you are? Because this is what you do. How I many of you know what I'm talking about? Can you do that with Jesus? So when he addresses issues in our life, He he stands on high moral ground, right? Because he's sinlessly perfect. And also now, listen to this, that makes it, the first point, have more meaning for us. What do you mean? Here's one who never sinned, who was sinlessly perfect, but his whole purpose was to come and to take away what? Our sins. Isn't that an awesome thought? I mean, sometimes when you talk about being on high moral ground, our our time our thinking is is that we that kind of person stands in judgment of us. Do you know what I'm saying? Because that's what we experience in human life, right, with people that we interact with. Jesus isn't judging us. He came to what? Take away our sin. That's a, that's an awesome thought. That's an awesome thought. So he goes on now, in verse six, and he so he talks about our actions having a testimony. So look again, our actions convey our true testimony. Now, I'm waiting for somebody to raise their hand and say, well, wait a minute now, George. The way I read this text, it's saying that if I sin, I don't know him. I'm waiting for somebody to say that. Is anybody wrestling with that thought in their mind because when you're reading this text, it sounds that way? Be honest. Yeah, I'm, I'm just afraid to ask you. Who, who's that? Or, or maybe you're here and you're like, I don't care. Okay, that, okay, Danny, you're the honest one. Okay, so I was waiting for that question. Here's what I want you to understand what's going on here. John's using a word here, but we also know from what he's taught before, you need to understand what he's communicating. There is a difference between committing a sin and continuing in sin. There is a difference between committing a sin And continuing in sin. What John's talking about here in this passage is the issue of continuing in sin, not committing a sin. How can you say that, George? Because when I read it, it sounds like if I sin, I don't know him. Well, remember, what did he say just one chapter over in the first verse of chapter 2? My little children, I write these things to you that you what? Sin not. But if you sin... What does it say? Somebody got chapter 2 there? Look at chapter 2. But if you sin, what's the next part? You have an advocate with the Father. You have somebody who intercedes on your behalf, and he is the propitiation for your sins. So the issue isn't that you commit a sin because Jesus is there for you. We're all going to commit a sin. What he's talking about here that is reflective of you maybe not knowing Jesus or or having faith or being saved is the fact that you are continuing in sin. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're continuing in a lifestyle of sin. So the next point here is those who remain in Christ will not continue in sin. You're going to have victory. You're going to overcome it. Now that's not immediate. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's not immediate, but you're going to wrestle with it. You're going to struggle with it. A lot of times what has to do with how you can tell the difference between somebody who's saved and not saved is their attitude. Their attitude about their sin. Do you understand what I'm saying? Their struggle with it. If they don't care about what they're doing, and they name the name of Jesus, and they don't really care, it doesn't bother them, chances are they don't know Jesus. Why? Because it should be bothering them. Why should it be bothering them? Anybody have any clue why it should be bothering them? It's not just their conscience, but there's something else going on there that would be a reason why. Yeah, the Holy Spirit lives within you. And He's going to be what? Convicting you of your sin. It's going to be bothering you. Even to the point where... It doesn't have to be, the attitude doesn't have to be brokenness, like they're weepy over it. Oh, I'm so sorry. It could be anger over it. What do you mean? Because conviction is an irritation. And it doesn't have to be a weepiness over their sin. It could be even an anger over their sin. They're irritable over it. Do you, do you understand? There are ways to look in a person's life. You've got to get to know somebody. you get to get to know where they're at. Because here's the thing, the difference between a carnal Christian and an unsaved person is not very much by actions. It's just that one's saved, the other isn't. But what's different is, is their attitude and whether or not they know they're not right. Do you understand? A believer knows they're not right. An unsaved person couldn't care less. Okay? Couldn't care less. So those who remain in Christ... You're not going to continue in your sin. So let me just stop for a moment. Maybe you're here, you're wrestling with an issue, you're wrestling with a sin issue in your life. Okay? And you're just like, man, is there victory? You hear victory all the time, like the word victory. Is there, is there any way, I mean, yeah, I mean, this is great, George, but is it, is it real? Is it possible? Yeah, it is. Through Jesus. Not through your own strength, but through Jesus. The issue is, is what continually is said through this scripture, especially in the Old Testament. You know, it talks about there's a proverb. I wish I had the reference. I just saw it again just this last week about a righteous man may stumble five times, but pick himself up. But the wicked will be destroyed. See, a righteous man will stumble. He'll and the concept is, is he will sin. He'll get himself into a situation. But the issue is he picks himself up and he moves on. How does he move on? In his faith in Christ, because victory is in Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying? You pick yourself up and you move on. Psalm 37. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in him. Though he yet stumble, he will not utterly be cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Here's what I like to tell people. I I, I mentioned this to one of my young people Oh, probably a few months ago. And I said this. God's plan for you includes your screw-ups. That's pretty freeing, isn't it? When God has a plan for your life, he already knows what your screw-ups are. Because we think our screw-ups mean, okay, that's it, I'm done, I'm history, I'm toast. God's plan for you he, he knows your screw-ups. Screw do, you, do, you, do you understand what I'm saying? He knows your stumbles, your falling. Why do you think it says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in him? God delights in your life. Though you yet stumble. Listen to what David is saying. Though you yet fall on your face, you'll not be utterly cast down for the Lord. Who is it that picks you up and has you move back on? God. See, this is the point. Continuing in sin is the issue here. If you continue in sin, habitual sin, couldn't care less type of attitude John's talking about here. You don't know him. But if you do know him, you're not going to continue in sin. You're going to have victory. You're going to overcome it in your life. That is an awesome thought. That should free some of us here today. Do you know what I mean? That should give us hope. Because here's the thing. Let me just stop for a moment. I I need to qualify this here a little bit. Does everybody realize that the struggle with sin in your life is going to continue until you die? Does everybody understand that? You're going to struggle with sins until you die or Jesus comes back. The hope we have is that in the next life we won't. It'll be over. The thoughts will be gone. The temptations will be gone. It'll all be over. We'll be free. There'll be peace. Do you know what I mean? Because it isn't peace right now, is it? It's chaos sometimes in our minds and in our feelings in our desires and everything. Chaos. We train our bodies. Do you know what I mean? So those who remain in Christ will not continue in sin. Let's go on now. Those who continue in sin show that they do not know Jesus Christ. That's the point he's making here. If you're continuing in sin and you couldn't care less, and we've all met people like that, okay? We've all met people like that. where I mean, they say they're saved, and they remember when they prayed with Grandma when they were five, but nothing's changed. They're running around. They're, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're what? I mean, well, we don't need to get into total descriptions here. The reality is, is that that profession from five, when they were five means nothing because their life is evidencing where they're really at. That's the issue here. So he gives them an exhortation. So here's what he's telling us to do. He's going to give us an exhortation. John does not want his readers to be deceived concerning their actions. He's telling you that in verse 7. Look at what he says there. Little children, let no one deceive you. What does that mean? Well, it's the same kind of statement that Paul makes when he talks about, again, the same issue of those who practice lawlessness, except he goes into a big list. And he says in Ephesians, let no one deceive you. What is that? Don't have anybody come and say to you, if you're in this pattern of lifestyle and, you don't, and it's not evident in your life that you know Jesus, Don't deceive yourself into thinking you're okay, is what he's talking about here. That you know Christ, because your life is evidencing something else. We're not talking about committing sins. We're talking about that you're continuing in sin. Your life is marked by it. Don't deceive yourself. That's what he's saying here. Don't deceive yourself concerning your actions. Here's what else he says. He is not saying that we must do what is right in order to be righteous. So you notice what he says here. Verse 7, he makes the statement, He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. So he's not saying that you need to do right in order to be righteous. So this is not what he's talking about here. He's using it the same way that James does in James chapter 2. If you say you have faith... Show me your works, is what James would say. What's he saying here? The righteousness of Christ leads believers to do what's right. Do you understand what I'm saying? Your salvation, the fact that you know Jesus and his working in your life, the Holy Spirit's within you, he's going to lead you to do what's right. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's the righteousness of Christ that reveals itself in your actions therefore if you're a believer your actions reveal what that jesus is in your life that's the whole point he's trying to make here so everybody understand i don't want to confuse anybody if you got a question raise it right now so we, un- we can help you understand everybody got it what it's saying is is that if you know him it's going to be evident in your life do you, do you understand what i'm saying it's going to be evident there's going to be something different about you Okay? Now, then he goes off into verse 8 and 10. Let's look at those verses together. And he's going to talk about the difference between children. Okay? The difference between children. So, so for instance, okay, how many of you, we've got a lot of parents here. And, and sometimes parents will do this. I know because I'm a parent. And, and you know, you'll get into a function and there'll be other, maybe it's a family clan gathering. Because we'll be having, it's reunion time, is it not? Summer's coming. Everybody's getting ready for unions. And you're there with, you know, with your cousins and their children or your, or your siblings and their childrens and stuff. And, and, and almost inevitably, you're going to have a conversation with your spouse about, boy, I'm glad we got our kids. Do you see the difference between our kids and their kids? I mean, you know what I'm talking about. That happens, right? Everybody's laughing. You know, you're smiling. Nobody wants to raise their hand and say, yes, we do that. Okay? I'm not saying you do that, but do you know what I'm talking about? Okay, all right. This is what John's doing here. But he's going to talk about two different kinds of children here. A comparison between two different kinds of children. Look at what he says. Look with me at verse 8. He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever is born of God does not sin for his sin for his seed remains in him and he cannot sin because he has been born of God in this the children of God and the children of devil are manifested that whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God nor is he who does not love his brother okay so let's talk about the difference between children first of all the children of satan verse 8 those who continue in sin are of are the children of satan those who continue in sin, whose lifestyle is marked by a continuation in sin, they're of Satan. All right, let me just stop for a moment, because a lot of times our theology is not informed by the Bible. Our theology is informed by Hollywood or popular culture. So let me explain to you what I want you to understand here. In this world, do you understand there's only two groups of people? Well, you said, yeah, Jews and Gentiles. Ah, let's. Okay, that sense, but there's... It's really beyond that. There's only two groups of people in this world the children of God and the children of the devil. Do you understand that? What do you mean by that? Because if your theology has been formed by popular culture, by Hollywood and stuff, you probably realize that the only people who belong to Satan are Satanists and people who sold themselves to, to Satan and made a contract with him or something like that, who gave themselves over. Everybody's kind of out in the mushy middle. That's not the Bible. The reality is is that Satan is the god of this world. Do you understand that? And if you do not belong to Jesus Christ, you belong to who? Satan. You don't need to sell your soul to him. He already has it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Your destiny is already you're going to hell if you don't know Jesus. So what he's saying here is is that those who Basically, continue in sin, they are manifesting who they are. They are what? The children of Satan. Let's go on. Now, he points out something very interesting here. He points out that Satan sinned from the beginning of creation. So he's just going to, why are they the children of Satan? Because, well, Satan is the one who first sinned. And he sinned from the beginning. That's who he is. And then he goes on, one more point here, to understand the supremacy of Jesus. Always the supremacy of Jesus. Even in light of this, the supremacy of Jesus. John stresses that Jesus came to destroy the works of Satan. Do you understand? Jesus came to destroy those works. So now we get to verse 9. He's going to talk about the children of God. Now, if you truly know Christ, if you put your faith and trust in Christ alone for your salvation, you're not trusting in anything else. For your salvation, other than Jesus Christ alone, you're a children of God. You're part of the children of God. What does he say here? Those who are born of God will not continue in sin. He's going to make that point again. You're going to have victory in your life. Yeah, you're going to commit sin because you're human. But you're not going to be continuing in it. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not going to mark your life. Okay, so we go on. This is because God's seed or life is in the believer. He's saying it's because of God's seed, which or it could also mean life, is in the believer. So let me just stop for a moment. What do you think that refers to? When he talks about God's seed being in our life or God's life being in our life, what does that mean? Holy Spirit. Okay, let me stop for a moment. Some of you, remember we just did that series, The Forgotten One, about the Holy Spirit? You have to really seriously get a grip on this. The God of the universe and the person of the Holy Spirit lives within you if you know Jesus. Don't ignore him. And it is because of him being there that you are then empowered... Not just to serve him or whatever, but you are empowered to say no to sin in your life. The source of the power for your victory in your life is not within yourself, because everybody understand that. We're, we're frail. We're human. We're going to fail. No matter our best intentions. Do You know what I mean? How many of you, I mean, you got an extra piece of cake there, and you're like, I'm not going to take even just a sliver of it. I'm disciplining myself. No! End of the day, you're like, what did you do? You took you ate the whole piece. Not just a sliver. You ate the whole piece. And some ice cream, yes. Okay. It's like, might as well go all the way. Here's the thing. We're human. We it's not the strength to overcome it comes from who? God. The Holy Spirit working within you. Do you understand what I'm saying? If this is because the ability to no longer continue in sin is there because we have who? The Spirit of God. That's an awesome thought. And w- w- that's why it should be, I would behoove you, I would encourage you to pray prayers like this. Spirit, help me today. I can't do it without you. Give me strength. You know how easily I'm tempted in some areas. God, give me strength. You know, and, and not just a one time prayer. Go throughout the day praying that. You know, go throughout the day pray. Spirit, be a part of my life. All right, here's what else. A believer cannot continue to sin because he has been born of God. You know, when you come to Jesus Christ, that's an interesting He's using that, that whole concept of being born of God here. He used that before in John chapter 3 when Jesus talked about that we need, must be what? Born again. The children of God won't sin because they're born of who? God, they're not going to continue in sin. Isn't that awesome? See, everything here should be an encouragement to you in your life concerning the stuff that you struggle with if you're a believer. Isn't that awesome? Okay, let's go on now. The evidence of childhood. So he's going to talk about, again, he's going to bring it right back around to what does your life evidence? Look at what it says. John states that our actions declare whose child we are. Our actions declare whose child we are. The nature of how we live our life declares who we belong to. And so he's going to break it down in two areas here to kind of tell you the reality that you belong to Satan. And that's this. The one who does not actively do what is right does not belong to God. If you're not actively seeking to do what is right in your life. We're not talking about a one-time stumble here. But if you're not actively seeking to do what is right in your life, he's saying here, you don't belong to God. One more thing he adds to that, and this is powerful. The one who hates his Christian brother does not belong to God. If you have are just continuing a continual grudge and anger issue and hatred, towards someone else, and, and it's like you're, you're mad. I mean, I've, I've, you know, I've told you before, I've met, you know, when you pastor, you get to interact with people a lot. And I'm always surprised sometimes when I interact with seniors because they've lived a long time, and then you find out that they haven't been to church in 20 or 30 years because they're torqued at somebody, because they're mad at somebody. Now, would you say it's pretty extreme to be mad at somebody for 30 years? So much so that you don't go to church anymore because that person goes there? What does that say? What would John say that says? You know, they maybe don't know Jesus, right? Isn't that interesting? See, so here's the thing. If you know Christ and there's an issue between you, a brother and you or a sister and you, that's going to drive you to deal with it. Okay? It's going to drive you to deal with it. And so if you're harboring a big hate against somebody, that, that's a big question mark in your life and you need to recognize that. Okay? Alright. That's, that's, that's our selection. Anybody got a question? About what we've talked about. I mean, it's pretty straightforward, don't you think? What John's getting at here? It's pretty straightforward. This is not something you just breeze through here because the reality is he's wanting to confront us with the reality of where are we in Jesus. And I'll be honest with you, the message of John is completely different than what we hear today a lot of times in Christian radio or in Christian books where it's like, if you pray that prayer, you're okay. But that's not, you're not okay. What's your life evidencing? And, and, and it's almost like a wake up call. Let's quit pretending. Be real about who you are. Anybody quick question? Okay.